I'm going to finish this morning the message I started last Sunday. I did not quite answer the question uh, that we threw out. Uh, the way the message went, I could not really get there. I didn't want to keep it here everlastingly. So, um, let me just... Last Sunday was Labor Day weekend. <clears throat> and I began a message along the lines of what God has been speaking to us. Uh, and we called that message last week, Laboring to Enter into His Rest. So, I'll make that now part one. And today is going to be part two of that message. And basically, I said to us, it sounded like a contradiction. Here we are having a Labor Day holiday, a day that's been set aside in this country to honor, to bless, to thank God for all the hard-working men and women who have contributed so well to building this nation. So as we set a day aside to commend and recognize their efforts and their labor, Yet we are saying that we should labor to enter into rest. So it sounds like a contradiction. And so I said last Sunday that there are really only two kinds of labor me and you as believers should be concerned about. And the first one was what I began to talk about last Sunday, which is laboring to enter into his rest. We take that from Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11, where the Bible in the King James Version encourages us to labor, to enter into the rest of God. And then we went to a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now I'm giving all this context on this review because the point I want to make today will not take that long to make it. But I needed to bring you guys all along and be refreshed as well so that when I make the point, it will make sense to all of us. Okay, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see a beautiful, beautiful picture of grace illustrated in the scriptures. There are maybe two or three of them like that, but this is one of the most striking ones. Let me read the passage, and then we're going to dive into the message. Second Samuel 9. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Now, when Pastor Mary was praying this morning, she mentioned a point which was very poignant. Uh, and it, 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 it's, it's befitting that I go there again and just repeat it a little bit, you know, because it is so powerful what she was saying. And once she said it, you can just see how everything just lines up. And the point I'm making is, when you're talking to a person, you say, are you Joseph? And rather than say yes or no, you say, at your service. There is something wrong with that answer. <laughs> There's a zealousness that that answer is, 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 there's a camouflage there. The question simply is, are you Ziba? What's the logical answer? Yes or no? At your service. Yes, sir. Watch out for a man like that. A man or a woman who answers you like that for that simple question, you need to let the flag come up right away. That there's something about these guys, they are disguising. Okay? And you see that here in the next verse. 
Verse 3 says, then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now, she mentioned a beautiful day this morning, and my prayer is that anyone who will seek to disqualify you from what God has already qualified you for, let it be annulled. Because the question was very simple. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? Yes or no, Ziba? Oh, there's one. See, in my village, in my village where I come from, I understand this technology. Because in my village, they can answer a question directly, but very coded. It's so coded, you have to read between the lines to understand exactly what they say. Oh, yeah, there's somebody. <laughs> but, King, you don't really want to see him. He's lame in his feet. What will a lame man be doing at the king's table? That's what they say. That's what they say. But in the name of Jesus, the prayer was said earlier, and I want to say it again. Because I want you to understand. Anyone who will bring your bad report to your boss, to your employer, to people who are looking to bless and favor you, I want you to know it today. It is disannulled. That report about you, about how bad you are, how much you've missed it, how shortcoming you are, any report that does not build you up, that does not add value to you, that does not edify you, I don't care who is carrying it. I say, in the name of Jesus, let such a report not be heard. That report will not show up on God's radar. In the name of Jesus. And we know it will not show up. Why do we know that? What confidence do we have? Why do we know that what we just prayed is real? Because after Ziba said it, David just ignored it. I'm saying to you this morning, every bad news concerning you, that the enemy breaks, God will ignore it in your behalf in the name of Jesus. It will not register. It will not count against you. It will not work against you. In the name of Jesus, it did not work against Mephibosheth. And if it did not work against him, why should it work against you? It's impossible. It will not happen. In the name of Jesus. I don't care where they bring the report from. They can package it from Washington, D.C. They can package it in Moscow. They can package it in Istanbul. It does not matter where it's coming from. You have a brother, an advocate, whose name is Jesus. And by the power of his blood, you have been cleansed. Hallelujah. No one will believe the evil report. Oh my God. I can go scripture after scripture. Did they not bring Joshua, the high priest, before God? And the enemy paraded him and said, look at these garments, how filthy they are. God said, you don't understand. This is one that has been, my God, cleansed by fire of the blood. Don't bring such a report to me. Ah. You put out on Mary's time clock. That's not even part of the message. Mary pulled me over there. But I thank God for the pull. 
That's a good pull. Amen? Amen. No evil report concerning you will prosper in the name of Jesus. So let's read on. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is in the house of Micah, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Emil from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mace Phibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Yes, I've heard what Ziba said about you. Yes, I know, I know, I know your condition. It does not matter. You see, because what we are talking about here is grace. What's about to happen to you is not because you earned it. What's about to happen to you is not because you deserve it. In fact, if we go by what you deserve, because you came from the old dynasty, because you belong to the house of Saul, as you have your head on the table. But I am not going to give you what you deserve. I am instead going to give you what you don't deserve. I know you are afraid of your life. But I tell you, I bring good news. Do not fear. Hallelujah! Oh, I'm talking to somebody this morning. I don't know what's facing you. I don't know what circumstance you're about to go through tomorrow. I want you to know, as we've been told, it is done. And because it is done, he is faithful to bring to pass in your life his good report. Hallelujah. Okay. Do not fear for I will show you, I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And we restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Not every now and then. Not just when I feel good. Not when you are feeling bad continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. And to somebody this morning, I'm saying to you by prophetic decree, everything you have lost Everything has been taken away from you. Everything that has been stolen from you. In fact, the mistakes you've made that's cost you something. I declare according to the decree of the word of God in your life right now. In the name of Jesus, there's restoration. I said there's a recovery. I said you will recover all. In the name of Jesus, you will recover. You will recover. You will not suffer loss. In the name of Jesus, God will give you gold for the things of gold. Silver for the things of silver. Bronze for the things of bronze. In the name of Jesus, your enemies will seek you out to bless you. Your enemies will find you out to bless you. You will prosper. You will be the head and not the tail. Above only and never beneath. In the name of Jesus. Yes. This is a new day. The cock has already crowed. 
that's why I know you will never lose in the name of Jesus. Abundance has your name on it. In Jesus' name. Glory be to God. Oh my God. I want to stay through to the test, but man, can you just imagine? Please don't 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 miss out what is playing out before your eyes. One day Mephibosheth was a disgraced, doomed, destitute, helpless individual. One day has been like that for years. So much so, destitution, distress, disgrace, doom has become normal. He had lived like that for years after Saul and Jonathan died. Picture in your mind's eyes the horsemen are riding. He has heard that sound before. It is a sound of war. It is a sound of trouble. And this time, the horsemen drove fiercely at the command of the king and knocked on his door. In his mind's eyes, he must be saying, today is the day. Have been disgraced. Have been doomed. Have been destitute. I'm helpless. I can't run. This must be the day of my expiration. Not knowing this is the day of his renewal. He needs mine. He must be thinking this is it. The destruction he had tasted and dreamt of is now knocking at his door. Not knowing this is not destruction, rather, this is deliverance. And I'm here to tell someone here this morning this is your day of God's deliverance. Hallelujah! Everything around you, the writing on your wall, everything around you may be saying destruction, destruction, destruction. But God, who has the last word, He said, No, no, no. Deliverance, 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 deliverance in the name of Jesus. I don't care what it looks like. I'm telling you, if you're still breathing, <laughs> if the devil could have killed you, you won't be breathing. Hallelujah. It does not matter what it looks like. God's final answer is you are going to be delivered. Ah. Oh. My, 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 my. 
So while Mephibosheth was wasting away in his disgrace, destitute, doomed, rejected, helplessness, please, I want you to take note. He, Mephibosheth, didn't have to do a thing to change his situation. It was not because of him. It was not, it, it was not because of his effort. It was not because of anything he did. But God, according to the prayer this morning, Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 19, remember me for good. My God, if you are here under the God's covenant of grace, I want you to know you are already covered. God remembers his people for good and I'm here to tell you my Lord God Jesus is making sure everything for which he died, for which he was buried for which he raised from the dead will come to pass in your life because it is a finished work glory to God and so in the twinkle of an eye listen I cannot share some of these things publicly because I'm looking over this congregation. I know at least three people, four people, that since January, their life is turned upside down. But let me say it correctly. Maybe I didn't say it well. Their life is turned right side up. Amen. I am talking about stupendous, incredible, unlawful blessings that I know of personally. They won't, they won't allow me to share it publicly. I wish I could. Just so you know how great, how mighty, how faithful this God is to them whose heart is loyal towards him. Eyes have not seen. Yes, have not heard. Neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God pastors has prepared. And the one point I'm making this morning is to show you how to put yourself in position to get them. Everything I'm saying is just to get you there. Because I'm telling you, I'm not reading this in the book. It's happening to me. I'm not reading it. I am living it. Everywhere I go, I attract it. I'm saying that into the atmosphere. So every demon and every devil in hell and on hell can hear my testimony. I am favored by God. I am loved unconditionally. It is settled in me. I know it. I know it. I know it. And therefore, I have become a menace to the devil. Ah, if you just know what I know. Hallelujah. It's not by my might, not by my power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. Let me make that clear. It's not because I'm praying more. It's not because I'm fasting more. No. No, no, no. Should I pray? Yes. Should I fast? Yes. But I'm telling you something bigger than any of those things. It's called the grace factor. But you have to know how to key in into it. Everywhere I go, 
And I mean everywhere. Bring out the map. Anywhere. It's following me. Oh yes. So I'm not teaching or preaching something that I read in the magazine. Or on the internet. Or heard some preacher teach on TV. It works. And it is real. And it is tangible. And you can behold it and see it. This is truth. It's too late now for the devil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it. I know it. If God does not love anybody, he loves Banka Kimala. Oh, I don't know about you. I don't, but I can tell about you. I know about me. I am a disciple whom Jesus loves. Oh, glory to God. I say with confidence. I didn't read it. I know it. And because he loves me, I can love him back. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. Do you know it? Yes. That's the message that will save the whole world. Amen. It's a simple message. We have complicated it. That's the problem. Yeah. It's the same message that will help you to walk holy. We've complicated it. That's the pro- That's it. All right. Let's back to the text. Second Samuel nine. Now. This verse 8 is what I want to address. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant? That you should look upon such a dead dog as I. You see, laboring to enter into his rest has to do with me and you being in that disposition where we can believe what faith and Toshi said when they said it is done. Do we really believe that? It is so simplistic, but entering into the reality of takes labor. That's where the labor is. You just saw it. Second Samuel 9 8. That's where all of us, for the most part, are. This man who was expecting death, that received life. And David pronounced to him, not only am I going to spare your life, but everything you've lost, all the inheritance back to Saul, I'm giving them back to you. Amen. What was his response? What would you, why are you considering me a dead dog like this? Many of us do not call ourselves dead dogs. But when you read the promise of God, when you hear God says it's finished, you say, no, I don't deserve it. You are calling yourself a dead dog. You are saying, no, maybe it's true for Charles, but not for bank. You're calling yourself a dead dog. 
you are qualifying what God has already qualified. You are, you, you are trying to add to something that God is not adding to. You are not able to enter into the reality of the promise that's given you because you are rationalizing it. Mephibosheth, right before the king, if the man will kill him, he won't have to see him. You are right there in the palace. The man said, listen, every inheritance from Saul on is back to you. You eat at my table continually, which means you have access to me. Face to face, communion. And the man said, ah, listen, do you know my condition? I'm lame in my feet. I'm as a dead dog. He's trying to talk God out of the blessings God is giving him. That is the problem of the church. We are not able to take at face value what God has already done and given to us. We are trying to find where God, you know, uh, uh, Apostle Shino said we should pray three hours a day. Uh, unfortunately, I only pray two hours and 57 minutes. So that must mean I will not qualify. Who told you so? Remember, what Mephibosheth is getting is not because of him, but for Jonathan's sake. Likewise, you and I, you are not getting what you deserve, but you are getting what Jesus has paid for. It's not free. Someone paid for it. It's just not you. So God is not looking at you and I on the basis of who we are. He's looking at us on the basis of his son. This is the level. Battling with your mind where you are and where you're supposed to be. And the issue here, the root issue here is the issue of identity. Identity. Who are you? That's the core of what's happening here. This prince, Mephibosheth, who has lost his throne when Saul and Jonathan died, like you and I, back in the garden with Adam. Remember that story? Adam was created in the image and likeness of God and therefore a son of God and therefore a prince of God and therefore all the children of the bears will be also princes and princesses. So just like Adam and Eve, Mephibosheth lost his, priest, his, his, his princely status in Saul. David was grafting him back into it and he said, I'm a dead dog. Identity. Who are we? Before salvation, the Bible defines it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, you and I were the children of wrath. Everybody belongs to a family. The point is, which family are you going to be in? Children of wrath. That's what the Bible calls it. But once we became born again, John 1, 12, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to them that received him, what did he do? He gave power to them to become the children of God, even those who believed on his name. So what Jesus did was change our ID. We were translated from being children of wrath into making us children of God. Do you understand that? Oh, no. 
you guys just want to jump up and shout, but you don't want to believe it. See, the, 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 is this truth that will help your shouting and your jumping? Because if you don't get this truth, you are just jumping for nothing. You just, you just, you just do an exercise. That's all. You lose weight, but nothing will happen for you. You have to have this truth. This is what you fight the devil with every day. Your identity. You need to know it. You need to know it. And then you need to remind the devil what your identity is. You are no longer children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. You are now a child of God. Oh my God. Several passages said we are are beloved children. Dearly beloved one. That's the way God identifies. It's not just a matter of him loving us. He said, dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. Qualifies that love. Because he knows that you love Pixar. You love football. You love bowling. He knows all of that. So he said, okay, this one I will qualify. Dearly beloved. Because you don't dearly beloved Pixar. Hopefully so. Are you following the point? This ID issue has been the key, the root throughout generations. When Jesus was going to be, well, in fact, before that, the temptation, the fall in the garden, what was the root of it? If you eat this fruit, you surely be like God. God knows you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. What's at the core of it? Identity. The enemy trying to sell Eve what she already was. But this time, the enemy wants her to work for it. If you eat the food, you pluck the food and eat it, through your effort, you'll be like God. Something God has already confided on you without and apart from work. So right there in the garden, identity caused man to fall. Years later, Jesus being tempted in the garden, what happened? If thou be the son of God, turn these stones to become bread. Again, what is the enemy trying to do? Mess with his head where it contains, where it regards to his identity. Do you know who you are if you are the son of God? Make these stones turn to bread. Of course, Jesus read through that. He knew. He knew what he was trying to do to him. He knew already was the son of God. Look how crazy this devil is. Look how crazy this devil is. Moments before that, God announced to the whole world, below, below, behold, this my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So the whole world heard it. No, we are laughing, but this is serious business. So if the whole world heard it, why would the devil bring it back to Jesus as a temptation? Why will he bring it back? Why was it ever a temptation if everybody heard it? It was announced to the whole world. And yet he said, if you are the son of God, because the enemy understands that what we hear publicly here, that we're all shouting about here, when he isolates you into your bedroom, into your workplace, into a business environment, into a place where you're alone, now he wants to know what you heard. You are shouting at the work friend. Now, do you really believe what you are shouting about? Yes. He won't test you here. He has better sense than that. But you have to settle that issue. You have to settle your ID issue. And I'm saying to you, if you are born again, by the spirit of God, there is no other identity for you. You are a child of God. Why is that important? Because everything you do thereafter 
emanates from your being, from who you are. Let me find a better way to explain that. You are not doing things to validate that you are a child of God. You are not doing things to, 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 to help you make you a child of God. That's exercise in futility. And many people, are, that's where they are. Instead, because I'm settled in who I am as a child of God, automatically as a result of who I am, I begin to live a particular lifestyle that corroborates my identity. The lifestyle I'm living does not make me what I am. What I am was made by the finished work of Jesus Christ and as a result of who I am, I'm now just automatic. You don't have to think. Does a fish have to go for swimming lessons? No. What kind of a fish is that? Mr. Fish, you are, you are, you are, you are here for swimming lessons for what? A fish what? Swims. Have you ever seen a bird that's going to fly in lessons? No. Listen, I'm, what I'm telling you is so simple, but it's revolutionary. I'm telling you. Once you settle who you are, and you know who you are, living for Jesus becomes an autopilot. Because now you are not trying to do it. No. No. He is merely doing it in you because he's the one that's in you anyway. Big difference. Huge. So laboring to enter into his rest is simply understanding who I am as a result of what he has done. Not on your own effort. No, 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 no. Not just who you are, just so you can brag for bragging rights. Amen. Do you know who I am? Praise God. I'm the CEO. No, that's not what I'm saying. But acknowledging that because of the finished work of Christ, whereby he died, was buried, and raised again from the dead for my sake. As a result of that, something happened. I became a child of God. Period. End of story. And because I'm a child of God, there are certain benefits and privileges. Huge. So when your circumstances is looking to the contrary, this is where the labor comes in. Things are contrary to who you know you are. Things are not working well. Things are not happening. So the temptation is to flow with the things that are not happening. The temptation is to start addressing those things. To get drawn out of who you are into the environment of the things that are not happening. You follow what I'm saying to you? That's the temptation for all of us. But that's when you have to labor to enter into the rest of God and say, this situation, I see you for who you are, but let me tell you who God has made me to be. Jesus, help me. What happened in the garden? You see, because the moment you become a child of God, remember I told you last week, what Mephibosheth gained in David is more than what he lost in Adam. So as a child of God then, at minimal, minimally, you should have dominion. Because Adam had dominion. Everything in his environment answered to him. 
Oh, mama, I can So now, in my newfound position, I'm a child of God by the Spirit of God, not living for myself, but living for Him who has called me. Therefore, with confidence, I can tell my environment. Just as the first Adam had control over you, I am bigger than the first Adam. I am a child of God. I am speaking to this situation, not from the perspective of weakness and begging and mourning and crying. No, I'm not begging you. I'm commanding you. I'm decreeing to you. Why? On the basis of who I am, because I have read in the scriptures, when Jesus needed money, he spoke to the fish. Fish, produce it. In the name of Jesus when he sees was raging, he didn't beg and call the environmental people, meteorology, please weather control. What do we do? No. He simply says, seize, become. Why? Your creator is speaking to the creation. And I'm saying to you, the power to create is within you. Because God gave it to you. Create your own world. Create your own environment. Create. But you will never be able to do that. If you don't know who you are. Yes. If you're always thinking of yourself as a dead dog, it won't happen. This is not just lip service. Oh. Guess what I'm trying to tell you. If we're speaking the words in your lips and your reality is not in your heart, nothing will happen. Because you're dealing with the spirit world. And they know you're just talking. You don't mean what you're saying. I'm telling you guys, I'm commanding blessings. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Since the last time I gave you guys testimony, I have more testimonies longer than my arm. I'm not joking. But I know that it's not because of anything I've done. I want you to understand that. It's because I'm now learning and understanding this grace factor. It is real. Absolutely real. You can change your environment. But you can only do so when you know who you are. And then you speak words that line up with who you are. That's it. That's the labor. You can either submit to your environment, surrender to your environment, surrender to your situation, and let your situation take you over. You can do that. And you'll be back in Lodeba, where maybe Bishop was. A place of nothingness. Or, you can believe what God has already said about you. You guys are looking at me, my God. Would you guys just go and leave this out for two or three days? And come back and tell me if it doesn't work? I want to double dare you. I want to dare you. Double, double, double dare you. I'm telling you. Now, I'm looking at the time to show you why this covenant of grace is so critical and to show you how it works. Please, let's read a couple of more verses. And parents, I want you to take note of this, especially for your children. Look. Verse 10. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall walk the land for him and shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But 
Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Hold it. I don't know if you saw what I saw. Mephibosheth was not alone. He had a son. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. The invitation, however, to eat at the table was only given to Mephibosheth. Now, this covenant of grace covered the entire household, but notice, there was a clear distinction between where Mephibosheth eats and his son. His son, having been brought near because of the grace upon the father, cannot go nearer because this covenant was especially between David and Jonathan. And therefore, oh man, I don't have time to deal with this. Notice the kindness that was shown here. It's not just kindness from David. The kindness of God. Not just kindness. The kindness of God. If it was just kindness, it'd be something that you and I can do. We walk up on our own. If we get back to works. No. But the kindness of God. David was just the vehicle or the dispenser through which this kind of God comes to Mephibosheth. Now, I don't want to lose my thought, but the point I'm making here is, for many of us here right now, listen to me right now. You say, Pastor, but I can't, I can't really love Sister S or, or Brother T or Brother Joe or Brother whatever. Uh, you know, that, that's the point. You can't do it on your own. It has to be the kindness of God. If you, if you felt like doing it on your own, then it's your work. So here, it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, being shed abroad in our hearts by that Spirit. So it has to be a thing of the Spirit of God. Okay, back to the point I'm making originally. Thank God for our children, or even our spouses. But let me tell you something. That grace that I carry, is going to work for me. That grace brings me before Jehovah. My wife can enjoy benefits of it, but it does not grant her that access. That grace I carry, my children will benefit from it. Why? They live in my house. So, to, not to say it in a bad way, there will always be crumbs on the table. But if they want what I have, they are going to have to labor through to understand the finished work of God for themselves and thereby gain the same access that is open for all. Do you understand that? There are no free lunches. Jesus paid the price, but someone has to do the believing for it. Yes. So in this case, it amazed me. I said, God, why would you do this? Mephibosheth gets to eat at the table continually. And they're passing some stuff to the sons. Son, you, you're not going to starve. You, you're going to be all right. Oh, okay, oh boy, you're going to be fine. But, but yours is coming from the field. Mine comes from the palace. Why? God wants to motivate all of us. Don't settle for what's coming from outside. 
There's access for everyone. But if you're going to access it, you must pay the price in believing. He didn't cover his son. Did you guys get it? So all the sons in the house and all the daughters in the house, blessings are available for all of us. But my believing, I'm sorry. You bring some crumbs your way, but you're going to have to step in the flow yourself and get the rest for yourself. Even if we live in the same household, you just be hearing the testimony. Ah, this happened to me. Ah, this happened to this person. Ah, this happened. God wants you to have your own story. Amen. And it's available. But you must believe for it. Because that's the only thing about this grace covenant. You must, there must be believing for it. The sun was covered. Brought nigh. No more under distress. No more doomed. No more disgraced. No more destitute. Had 35 servants working for him. But he has to make appointments to see the king. Whereas Mephibosheth was at the table continually. And we covered that adequately last week. The lameness was on his feet covered. While he's at the table, nobody can see it. All these shortcomings, all these problems, all the things that beleaguered him, all of them were covered. And I'm saying to you, in the morning you are covered. Amen. In the afternoon you are covered. Amen. In the midnight hour you are covered. Amen. Wherever you are, you are covered. Amen. Whatever issues you have, you are covered. Amen. By reason of the covenant relationship. Amen. But the son, in the meantime, who was also in there was not that covered. I can't even go there. I'm, I'm almost done. Now, application for us as we go home. Mephibosheth got to eat at the table continually, we are told. What does that mean for you and I today? Eating at the table continually. Number one, you can tell when you watch these TV programs where they're showing all these kids that are emancipating and dying of malnutrition, can you see how, how wasting the way they are for lack of nutrition? You see the pictures on TV, I mean, you see all the ribs and all of that stuff. Now, you bring that child to a place where it can get good nurturing, just one month, would there be a difference? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Ah, good. That's what happens to us. When you and I come to the table, to eat continually with the king. Now talking about eating of the meat of the word of God. Hallelujah. You are chewing on God's word continually. I guarantee you, just as that child that's emancipating changes. When you and I are feeding and eating from the table of God, you will change. You have no other option but change. Why? The word of God will change you. Not only will it feed you, it will nourish you and the nourishment and the change will be evident to all. Amen. Let's even talk about some of us that came from across the oceans. If I brought your picture up before you got here. <laughs> many of us that came off, off, off the boat. If you saw your picture five years ago while you were still under the hard manual labor. And we saw your picture today. 
you are eating hot dog and uh, and, uh, and and hamburger and uh, and and you are eating salad and uh, chicken grilled chicken salad. Your cheeks are smooth. Your skin is smoother. You're looking more. You're looking more presentable. You wear shoes now. We can recognize these shoes. Five years ago, it was not so. We know what food does. We know what food does in the natural. So in the spirit realm, it's the same. You eat the food of the word of God, it changes you. Number one, number two. Number two, the food of the word of God. Also today, for me and your application, is doing the will of God. John chapter 4, Jesus says, my meat or my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. So if I'm sitting at the table continually, not only will I be changing, which means I'll be sanctified, I'm changing, I'm looking more like him, I'll also be engaged in what interests him. I'll be doing his will. I'll be involved. I'll be serving. I'll be doing something for God. Now again, again, when we, do, when we talk about doing, this is not doing to become like God. This is not doing to be a child of God. This is not doing to get favor from God. You're already favored. And as a result of you being favored, you just do. But there is no way you can be eating the word of God and you tell me you are not changing and you are not involved in God's kingdom. It's not possible. It's not possible. Thirdly, this is why this is so important. Have you ever thought when Absalom rebelled and David ran away from the palace and Mephibosheth was left in the palace. We don't know how long that rebellion lasted for, but the Bible made it clear in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he did not shave, he did not treat his feet, and he did not change his garments, which means it was mourning. How did he catch that kind of spirit? Why did he not simply resign and say, wow, David is gone. Praise God. This is an, an opportunity for the throne to come back to my household. Why did Mephibosheth not think like that? Instead, it was mourning with eager anticipation that someday perhaps David will return. Read it. It's there. But why? Why did he not get diabolical in his thinking? You know how we are in this day and time. Abba, if your CEO is gone, you are the next to the CEO. You'll be praying that it's a one-way ticket. You'll come to church and call a prayer meeting. Oh, yes. You are laughing now, but we know what the reality is. You may be saying something as well in your heart. We know what you're thinking. Ah, I hope that guy does not return because I'm next in line. That was not him. Why? This is what communion with God does for you. You see, Mephibosheth was there when David made the decision. I will not kill Absalom. If I'm going to lose this throne, then let me lose it. Maybe God wants me to lose it. He heard it. He's communed with the king enough. He knew the heart of the king. So now, the king is gone. Will he not be an opportunist? No. The very heart of the king was on him already. What am I saying? By communing with the king, Jesus, I am telling you, Jesus' heart becomes your heart. His heart becomes your heart. So Mephibosheth said, listen, king, since you've left, 
I've not changed my clothes. I've not shaved. I've not treated my legs. Because the only thing that's important to me is your return. Not even my, my personal appearance. I'm secured that I'm in the palace. And the king said, divide the stuff between you and Ziba. I said, no, no, I don't want any of it. Let him keep it all. Because my joy is that you came back. Would that be my joy and your joy if Jesus came tonight? Or would you be thinking, oh, my God, I didn't make the first million dollars yet. Jesus, please stay another two weeks. Let me go to Las Vegas and see if I can make that one million dollar gamble. His expectation was the awaiting of his king. Is that the longing of our hearts? in this passage. Last thing I want to leave us with. For those many days or weeks or months, we are not sure how long it was that, that David was gone from the palace. Mephibosheth in that period of time, Sister Ada, was not eating at the table. Because the king was not there. Translation. There was broken fellowship for that season. Broken fellowship for that season. How did that impact Mephibosheth? Did they go back? Did they backslide? Or did the king tear his profile in that period of time? Answer is no. No. Even though there was no communion, no fellowship taking place in that period of time, it did not affect either one's position. The day Mephibosheth saw David back, it was as if the broken fellowship never happened. Why are you spending three hours begging God about your sin from last week? Why? <laughs> I saw the, the, the pin almost drop like a needle. <laughs> Pastor, are you saying I should go out and sin now? No, you didn't hear what I said. I'm saying to you, it is just as finished then as it is now. His heart is for you to get his heart. That's what he wants. That's what he's working in you to do. But I'm telling you that the nature of Adam is to put guilt on you, put a yoke on your neck till you can't do nothing else because you think God is mad with you. Because when you read the passage, when Mephibosheth began to go there and begin to explain, David said, stop talking about all these old matters. Old matters. Father, everything I've said this afternoon is to help us to come to this place where we labor to enter into your rest. As faith and Toshe beautifully exhorted us, it is already done and finished for every believer who has trusted in your name. I pray, God, that you give us the wisdom 
to cast down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive to the knowledge of who you are. Help us to remember who you have made us to be. Children of the most high God. That's who we are. And by the reason of such, I pray for every man and every woman under the sound of my voice that we will leave this place to go and recreate our own environment. The environment we want by your spirit that we being the recreated beings in you whom you've given the ability to be co-creators that we will go out and create the environment. I thank you Lord for the testimonies coming in in this ninth month. The month of the spirit. Number nine. My God that the supernatural workings of God will begin to manifest himself and itself in our lives, in our situations, my Lord and God. Thank you, Father God. I praise you and I magnify you. In Jesus' name. Amen.